so when I got to Torrington Police, um, there was all of these drivers about, you know, everyone's there kind of uh, chanting uh, and the bikes are revving, you know, everyone's there just, just blocking the entrance, kind of um, seeing what, what's happening. I remember I got there and then and there was all of these all of these press people about, you know, all of these these film cameras and stuff. And you're like, yo, what's what's going on? Yeah, it was exciting, you know. I think mean, that's, that's the that was one of the the, the the main things about it. it. Was it was really cool? It was it was all of these bikes, kind of everyone with their their, their top boxes and their delivery jackets on, you know, riding around central London, making lots of noise, taking over the road, and going like you know, like listen to us, you know, this is happening. For me, that 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 it was just like a really exciting time to. To stand up and go, yeah, we're not, we're not, we're not taking it. You know, you, you can't just do what you want. Like we will, we will resist you because we can. You know, because and that, that was, and I think that just the finding out that we can, because we want to better ourselves. And it's that, that going that we can actually do this and this is actually possible. That was the point where it was just like, oh wow, this is, yeah, this is worth getting involved with. This is worth pushing for because, because before then it wasn't even like a glimmer. You know what I mean? It wasn't even on the horizon. I had no idea this was possible. In 2016, the headlines erupted with news that delivery riders in London were on strike. This was the first time that workers in the gig economy had mobilised in the UK, taking to the streets to make their voices heard. The events that took place that summer shaped the lives of workers in the gig economy to this day. And we are still coming to terms with the ramifications of its successes and its failures. I'm Robbie Waring, and this is the Fair Work Podcast. A dive into the lives of the people working within the gig economy. This episode looks at representation and what it's like trying to organise and negotiate with gig economy platforms. What are the difficulties talking with a company that doesn't legally employ you and what happens when hundreds of workers come out from behind the screen to make their voices heard. So I'm Mohan and I initially started working for Deliveroo in February 2016 Um, and yeah I worked for Deliveroo full-time for about three years roughly um, and I suppose the, first, the thing that drew me to it most, um, like as a job, was the fact that it's um, it's it's working on a bike. You know, you'd spend hours and hours riding around, um, and I, I really enjoy that. Like I was doing like six hundred miles a week, kind of roughly, uh, for most of that time. Um, and and I suppose it's the kind of it's the fact that you're not directly answerable to someone is really appealing. Like it's even though you do have to kind of work within parameters that are set it's very different to having like a supervisor or a manager kind of breathing down your neck mohan worked in east london in the area ranging from shoreditch up to bethnal green and when he first started working shifts were scheduled and all riders were on a base rate of seven pound per hour plus one pound per delivery um and i used to we, i used to work uh, split shifts, uh, lunch and evening, and it was scheduled shifts. So you would have your availability and it would be sent to you. Um, and you do regular shifts every week. 
Um, and so the evening shift would normally start around 5.30 or 6. And the first hour we'd be sat around kind of everyone together. And yeah, so yeah, you kind of you kind of sit around for an hour. Uh, everyone would kind of gather together and then you'd slowly like wait for that first job, go zoom off, do the job, come back to Lamb Street, which was our zone centre. And it was really social then, them days actually at the start. It was really, really social. Like everyone would be kind of in that little area, just sitting around waiting for the jobs, essentially. The Deliveroo app works by directing riders to specific areas of the city, known as zone centres, to wait for orders. These are areas of the city in close proximity to a large number of restaurants, allowing deliveries to be completed as quickly as possible. The knock-on effect of this is that these spots act as key points for riders to meet and get to know one another. It wasn't until much later on that Mohan would come to recognise the importance of these connections. So there was, a, there was quite a strong sense of community that mainly came around the fact that most of us well, pretty much all of us uh, would wait around the zone centre. And because you'd be waiting there, right, and you'd be waiting there with all your bikes and you're all in your, your delivery jackets, there'd be, like, all of the motorcycles on, like, one side, bicycles kind of a little bit further down the road. And you just sit around and you talk about bikes, you know, and that's that most of the time. You know, I've made some really good friends who, who like, I'm still in touch with, like, all the, all the time who I've um, who, who I met doing delivery. Um, and like, even if you didn't kind of get the chance to speak to people, it'd be like even even the like the friendly little nod to another like delivery driver when you were like passing at lights, so or you'd be stopped at a red light, and you'd both be kind of at the light just chatting while you wait for the lights to change. And yeah, those were very kind of those kind of reinforced that that, that sense of community. Careering is a dangerous job, and the absence of an official safety net provided by an employer means that this sense of community also plays a functional role helping riders navigate the problems they encounter in their work. So I, I've had quite a few crashes in my time as a career. Um, most of them were my fault. Uh, a couple of them were my fault. Um, but there was one where I um, I just slipped off. Um, it was wet um, and it was horrible. It was a really, really horrible day. Uh, and then I slipped, my bike slipped on a piece of uh, road furniture on like a, like a drain cover. Um, and I slipped out, spun for like, I don't know, maybe like 15, 20 metres. Uh, got my bike, my foot caught under the bike. Was properly stuck, couldn't quite move. Um, wasn't actually that badly injured, but just had the bike on top of me um, and was in shock, essentially. A passing career stopped to help Mohan, pulling the bike off of him. On discovering that the bike was unrideable, together they pushed the bike to a spot where they could safely leave it. The, the crash happened when it was on the on the red route, where basically if I had left my bike there um, to go sort myself out and sort the bike out, I would have got a ticket. Um, and then the courier kind of helped me um, push my bike maybe like 800 metres around the corner so I could park it somewhere somewhere safe. But it was really, it was just really helpful, kind of just, just, just the fact that when these things happen, like it's... Um, it's scary, you know. It's one of those, especially kind of like. Thankfully, I wasn't too. I wasn't like injured that time. But like, there has been times where I've been where I've been really injured, and it's kind of um. Yeah, it's having knowing that if these things happen, like people are willing to stop, um, and they are willing to help you 
But what Mohan didn't know is that this community was about to be brought together in new ways to fight for their rights, in a battle that continues to impact delivery riders today. I, um, I was picking up an order from Rich Mix in Bethnal Green. Uh, I can't remember what the restaurant's called now, but it's the, yeah, there's, there's a, a restaurant in Bethnal Green, an Indian place, and I just picked up an order. And I come outside, and there was another driver there who I knew. And he was just like, man, have you seen what's going on? And I'm like, no, like, what, what are you talking about? And then he showed me on, on, on his phone um, the guys from CKT and, and um, Hampstead and Belsize at outside Torrington Place, which was Deliveroo's headquarters at the time. Um, yeah, and just, just, just the kind of the commotion and what was going on. At this point, I had no idea about the, the, the payment changes, you know. Those of us in EC, we didn't know about it. Like, the first we heard about it was just through other drivers. Like, that's it. The first I heard about it was him showing me that people are kicking off. He didn't even know what they were kicking off about. He was just like, like, shit's going down. Like, if you see this, and I'm like, nah. So I went and dropped off that order and then went to Torrington Place. Like, signed out, went to Torrington Place and was like, yo, what's, what's going on? Um, and then that was the first I'd heard about the change in payment structure. Unbeknownst to Mohan, Deliveroo was radically changing the way in which it paid its riders. So um, what Deliveroo were doing then, but they were they were moving us from our current pay structure at that time, which was £7 an hour, £1 a job, plus petrol and tips. They were moving everyone to a pay-per-job um, pay piece rate where um, they would get paid £3.75 per job. Um, that would be it. You know, there was no base rate. Um, there was still petrol, um, and you, obviously you'd still get your tips. But there was no base rate, so that meant if you got one, one, one job in one hour, you would get £3.75. Whereas before, in that one hour, you would have got £8 plus however much miles you did for that one job. Um, so it was a big change, you know, a big change that would have hit everyone in their pockets quite hard. Um, especially those of us who were doing it full-time, who had, like, who were doing, you know, 40, 50. For, for, for that, at that time, I was, I was doing, like, 60-hour weeks, you know. Most, most, most of the time, I was doing 60-hour weeks. Um, uh, especially for the yeah, for those of us who are doing it full time, whereas our our primary income would have hit everyone really hard. Um, and yeah, and then when they first did it, they were like, "Oh, it's a trial. You know, we're not going to make anyone swap." And you know, a few years down the line, everywhere's paper job. There are no hourly zones left. So when I got to Torrington Place, um, there was all of these drivers about. You know, everyone's there kind of uh, chanting uh, and then the bikes are revving you know everyone's there just, just blocking the entrance kind of um, seeing what, what's happening I remember I got there and then and there was all of these all of these press people about you know all of these these film cameras and stuff and you're like yo what's, what's going on um, so when I got there there was like lots of um, lots of delivery couriers who were about who were um, making lots of noise um, kind of chanting um and then there were people from the IWGB who were there, um, who were um, like same-day cycle couriers, uh, predominantly. The IWGB is a trade union based in the UK, which predominantly represents people in precarious work. Just prior to like our action as delivery drivers, um, the IWGB kind of cycle couriers um, had managed to win um, a massive pay rise. Uh, for city spirit couriers and e-courier couriers. Um, So then they were telling us about kind of their victories, 
and um, and how how they managed to push um, push their their employers to uh, to get to, to get this big pay rise. Um, and it was just really, it was really empowering. And I suppose for me, like I never knew that we could even have a union. You know, and when I first when I joined like I was like, I pulled right, cool, self employed. I'm out on my own. Things go wrong. That's 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 kind of it. You know, there's not much we can do. Um, I felt really really quite powerless about that. Um, and it was just really empowering to see kind of lots of people like me in the same position as me kind of coming together and changing things. Um, and or at least trying to change things. You know, I mean, just just even even the fact that people are trying is so powerful in itself. Um, and then hearing from the um, cycle couriers about what they had done and ha- how they managed to push to, 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 to better their conditions. Um, yeah, it was exciting. I'm here on day three of a industrial action by Deliveroo scooter drivers, cyclists. There's more of us than there is of them, and at the end of the day, their profits rely on us. We make their profits for them. If they can't see that, if they're that blind, they're going to burn their company to the ground. So we want a chance to listen to everyone individually. emblematic of something far bigger. That is workers organising, responding to the gig economy, often through precisely the same technologies by which these companies have made incredible profits. Um, yeah, it was exciting, you know. I think mean, that's the that was one of the the, the the main things about it. It was, it was really cool. It was it was all of these bikes, kind of everyone with their their, their top boxes and their delivery jackets on, you know, riding around central London, making lots of noise taking over the road and going like you know like listen to us you know this is happening like not even not, not even just the public even other delivery careers because like i think of like the fact that i found out from another driver i didn't find out from anyone else you know i didn't find out from delivery sending an email or or something in the press or something i, I found out because because a, a driver told me this was going on and it's the, it was just really exciting the fact that like all of us yeah just there and we rode around you know we rode around multiple places we rode around to like the BBC we rode to like um, the the recruitment centre or the interview centre that, that Deliveroo had went to like some restaurants and stuff and yeah it was for me that 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 it was just like a really exciting time to to stand up and go yeah we're not we're not we're not taking it you know you, you can't just do what you want like we will, we will resist you because we can, you know. Because and that, that was, I think, just the finding out that we can, because we want to better ourselves. And it's that that going that we can actually do this, and this is actually possible. That was the point where it was just like, oh wow, this is, yeah, this is worth getting involved with. This is worth pushing for because because before then it wasn't even like a glimmer. You know what I mean? It wasn't even on the horizon. I had no idea this was possible. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was super exciting just to have that, that opportunity to be part of something where you're standing up for, especially because it's so important, like historically, like even at that point, like everyone knew, like delivery, these things, these apps, Uber, all of this, you know, historically, these things are important, you know, these things are changing things. And everyone's been aware of that from, from, from day one, you know, everyone's been aware of the fact that these things are changing things. And... Um, to be part of trying to make sure those changes are for the better not only for myself but for everybody else you know for all of us 
who are in that situation, not just in this country, around the world. You know, these companies are changing things drastically. And the opportunity to be part of making sure that change was positive for the people, not just for the investors, not just for for their employees, not not just for the developers and the tech people, but for the couriers who sweat for them every day. And I think that that was what felt so powerful. It's the fact that we know what we are doing is part of changing history for for us and people like us in the future. Um, and I think that's, yeah, that's that's what was so powerful about being there and the kind of the emotional power of... So, like, it's, it's collective action, you know? It's, it's, it's a feeling. It's a feeling of power. And nobody can can explain it to you. you. You have to feel it. You have to be there. And you have to feel that collective might that you have when you stand side by side with each other. Um, and that is, yeah, that is where I felt it first, I suppose. The, the first time I felt that feeling of collective power was stood outside Torrington Place with the other delivery drivers, revving our engines, making lots of noise, and telling the bosses that we are here and you can't do what you want because we are the ones who make make you your money. So you will listen to us and you will do what we what we tell you. The key demand of the strikes was that riders would not be forced onto piece rate work and given the option of remaining on an hourly wage. That, that basic protection of knowing that even if you don't get sent any work that hour, you are still getting paid. I think that was the core thing, is just making sure that like nobody is forced to move from hourly to piece rate. Because that's the thing with delivery, right? Not like a core group of people do most of the work. Like most of the work is done by people who do it full time. Uh, day in day out you know but then there's quite a lot of people who will do just a weekend or just a couple of hours here and there and like for those people yeah peace rate might work but for those people who are there every day who who, who deliver and rely on to do the, to do most the bulk of the work uh, the peace rate penalised us massively Deliveroo claimed at the time this was simply a trial and that riders would not be forced onto piece rate work on a permanent basis. A claim it would later roll back on, with all riders in London now working entirely on a piece rate system of payment. So that shift from uh, hourly rate to piece rate just changes the way you work entirely. You know, um, for most people, like if you don't work in the gig economy, you're working at a job where you get paid from when you clock in to when you clock out. Right, your workday is what you're getting paid for. It doesn't matter how productive you've been on that workday. You could sit in the office and do no work at all. You know, you probably won't get away with that for long, but you're not going to get penalised for that. The shift to piece rate work substantially changes how you work and when you work. Without any guaranteed income, workers need to plan their working hours around when there is likely to be the most amount of orders available. 
For Mohan, the shift to peace rate meant that he had to completely reorganise his life, working irregular hours over longer periods of time. I, like before, I used to so I used to take Saturdays off. From as soon as I started delivery, from from day one, I told them I want to have my Saturdays off. I used to work six days a week, but to me, it's important for me to have a weekend a day off as well. So then, like, just to have a normal life, you know, like because most people work Monday to Friday, they have weekends off. Whereas, whereas the the busy times for delivery was weekends. So I had to then change my day my day off. You know, I'd. I'd um, I then I, I then had to start working on Saturdays because if I didn't, I wouldn't be making enough money. But I suppose, I suppose the 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 the, the, the kind of biggest change is just going that it now no longer matters kind of how many hours I'm at work. That is, the, the, that, that's a big kind of shift in the way you think about work, you know, because you, you're not getting paid for a day, you're getting paid for 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 the number of units you you can produce, and that fully changes how you think about it and it's really hard to articulate what effect that does have but it's like i don't know it's like going it's going if you're a bus driver you're not getting paid for the route you do you're getting paid for the number of passengers that come on now how are you as a bus driver how can you how can you control how many passengers get on your bus you can't there's no way you have any 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 control over how many passengers step onto that bus so you have no idea how much you're going to get paid. You have no idea whether whether you're going to have enough money to pay your bills that month. Now, add on top of that, that bus is, doesn't belong to the company. That bus belongs to you. So every day you run that, every hour you're on the road, every minute you're on the road, that's costing you money. In wear and tear, in fuel, you're paying the, the, the highest level of insurance because you're carrying things for, as a business. You know, so you're paying, you're paying lots and lots of money out all the time but you have zero control over how much money you can make. You have no way of increasing that. You have no way of, of controlling that. You have zero influence on it at all. But you are reliant on that to put food on the table. And that entirely shifts the way you think about work. Um, and yeah, it just, it, just, it just changes it. You know, It changes it from something that I did really enjoy. You know, I really did like being on the bike all day. You know, and 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 making my living that way, and 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 it just added to the stress in such an immense way that I don't even have the kind of words to articulate. I asked Mohan about how the shift to peace rate and how Deliveroo implemented these changes affected how he viewed his relationship with the company. So, the way the changes happened, I suppose they made me feel kind of angry. Initially, was the first um, my first kind of emotional response was the fact that. Especially kind of delivery at that time, you know, everyone's talking about, oh yeah, look at these unicorn companies, you know, they're great for the economy, or they're making all of this money, they're the future, all of this. And it's like, mate, we're the ones who sweat for you every day. You know what I mean? I'm the one putting my life in risk all the time for you guys. So I can make my living. Yeah, you guys are getting paid tons and tons and tons. You know, like like Will Shoes is making Lord knows how much money. You know, all of these people who are employees of Deliveroo are making tons of money. Um, and they're getting share options and all of this. But the fact is, yeah, your business will be nowhere if it weren't for drivers like me and like that people around me, you know, who are there every day working for you. Like, how can you take these people and just throw them away and go, actually, you know, your bills don't matter, you know, your life don't matter, you know, all that matters is that delivery getting there. That's the only thing that matters. 
And I think that's that's what it showed. It showed me how how little they value um, the people who work for them, who, who the people who 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 do actually work for them, who they claim don't work for them. It's the fact that we were so like our time and our our, our energy wasn't actually worth anything. The only thing that was of value to them was the food getting from A to B. Not the fact that that person who's doing that has a life as well, who has to has to make enough money and has to do all of these things just to get by, just like everybody else. And I think that was the primary kind of feeling I had at the time. It was how disposable and how worthless we are to them. Um, them being the yeah, delivery and the employer, the, the company, they just didn't care about us as people. During the initial stages of the strikes, riders came together and worked in collaboration with representatives from the trade union, the Independent Workers of Great Britain, to develop a set of demands and elect representatives. Um, so we communicated to delivery. So initially they refused to even speak to anyone, you know, they didn't want to speak to us collectively at all. So we want the chance Let him to listen to everyone individually. Um, and then outside tourism place uh, i think we made had a delegation of like four or five people who uh because delivery said oh yeah cool we'll speak to you now um and then yeah so there was like maybe like four or five people who like we as a group kind of government like elected as delegates essentially um and then we kind of agreed the, the, the points that we had the, i think it was like four or five of them points that we had um and then they went up and spoke to them and then there was like no no real kind of movement they were saying how like, oh yeah, we'll speak to people individually. You know, we'll speak to people individually. They were like refused to accept the collective aspects. You know, they, they wanted to speak to us as an individual unit, you know, that individual powerless unit, you know, as you are by yourself, like you don't feel powerful at all, you know, but they just, they refused to accept the fact that we were talking as a collective. They refused to, to accept the fact that the people there had decided that this person we give them the authority, you know, we've agreed these points, these are the points we agree on, you know, we want these things to happen. This person speaks with the authority for all of us. You know, we have, we have delegated them as our representative in the room with you, so you need to speak to them. And from what I can gather and what I can remember, like the people who were in the room were saying how like Deliveroo just refused to to accept that that collective voice that that person spoke with. At the start of the strike, there was no official trade union involved in representing delivery riders at a large scale. So, so that strike initially was called by drivers in three zones, right? So there was um, CKT, Hampstead and Belsize. And it was the drivers in those three zones who took that action like by themselves. Um, so then they already had that, that existing community, you know, they, they had people who were like leaders who, who, who people knew, who everyone knew and everyone's like respected and spoke to and kind of who were able to mobilise people. As the strike progressed, riders moved to establish official trade union representation through the IWGB by joining their courier and logistics branch. Under the European Convention of Human Rights, all workers are entitled to union recognition. However, this does not extend to those that are self-employed. Deliveroo riders are classed as self-employed independent contractors and therefore... Deliveroo is not obliged to recognise the right for a trade union to represent a body of workers. So once we were in the branch and we were like organised as members of the union, 
uh, delivery still don't accept kind of that collective that the authority they don't, they don't recognize the authority of a collective voice to, like in any way even now you know even up to now I know there's like uh, members of the branch who 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 are who are who are forced to do things uh, through like like as themselves because it's just because it's, it's, it's quicker to get a response and it's easier to get a response a lot of the time for them to act as themselves um, rather than trying to go through like a we are the union this is what we're saying but that being said I know like people have had like some success with casework and stuff um, through that way but a lot of it a lot of the kind of the union voice getting to Deliveroo is through third parties you know it's through MPs it's through the press it's not through a collective conversation uh, with respect on both sides at all like it's 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 delivery dragging their feet and having to be taken through the court of public opinion and the pressure that comes with that to change anything meaningfully which is a bit shit to be honest I don't really know if there's a better way to phrase it it's, it just kind of sucks you know it's like alright cool you know we've gone through all of this especially kind of when you when you when you spend, take time to try and organize as well it's just like man you know we've got all of these members now we've got all of these people kind of why why won't they listen to us now like they still won't listen to us even though we've got members and we've got people who will act and stuff we still have to like as much as taking action is is fun and you feel that power it's stressful you know it's one of those things that i shouldn't have to be able i shouldn't have to do that you know i shouldn't have to like I, collectively we shouldn't have to go out and and strike and boycott and pick it and do all of these things because, like, just acknowledge the fact that, you know, we're here. You see that we're here because we turn up at your office to cause mayhem because you won't speak to us. Just speak to us, you know? And it's just, it's just, it's just, yeah, it's it's just infuriating. It's, it's irritating more than anything. It's just like, come on, like, for real. How, how, how else do you want us to prove the fact that this is what we're saying and you need to listen to us? You know, you should be, like, you shouldn't have to do that. It's like if you're a kid and you're in a classroom, you know, and your hands up and you're like, yo, sir, please, Please, I got, I got the answer, you know. I got the answer. And he's just there, just ignoring you. It's like, come on, man. Like, for real. You know, I don't, do I have to get up and throw a chair around until you listen to me? And that's essentially what it's like. It's like when you're, when you're in a classroom and no one will listen to you. So you have to you have to be that kid in the corner who's there smashing up the table until he listens to you. And it's like, well, for real. Like, you know, we're adults. You know, treat us with some respect, you know. I'm not, I'm not a kid who's being told off. Like, I'm an adult who's at work. You know, like treat me with, with, with a bit of decorum, you know. Ultimately, the strikes were unsuccessful. And after several weeks, riders went back to work without their demands being met. Deliveroo would go on to implement a piece rate system of payment for all riders on a permanent basis. However, the IWGB to this day acts as a powerful force campaigning for the rights of couriers in the gig economy. For Mohan, the shift to piecework ultimately led him to leave courier work. That was the point where I felt like we were getting pushed to go quicker and take more risks um, than, than I really should have, you know. And that, yeah, it's just, it's just the, that shift from hourly to piece rate, just the level of stress it induces in people is so hard to, to imagine unless you're in that situation.
Thanks to Mohan Biswas for sharing his story. For workers to meaningfully have a voice in determining their working conditions, they must be able to bargain with the platform for a collective or representative body. At Fair Work, we believe that all work can and should be characterised by fair pay, fair conditions, fair contracts, fair management and fair representation. Platforms ultimately have the power to improve standards and the ability to choose to. In the UK, the structure of gig work means that platforms have no legal obligation to recognise trade unions and other representative organisations. But platforms can improve the work they provide by taking a proactive approach to representation, recognising existing organisations where they do exist, encouraging their development where they don't, and entering into negotiations in good faith. At Fair Work, we're actively campaigning to improve the conditions for gig workers around the world and hold platforms to account. You can find out more at fair.work. This episode was written and produced by Robbie Waring with composition by Louis Bollet's.